Alrighty, good morning once again. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to First Peter, as you can see from what we did have on the screen. Uh, we are continuing in our series, Christ, Our Living Hope. Um, yeah, so I believe this is, yeah, this is our third Sunday in this. We've been through this now for two weeks. And uh, yeah, it's been an interesting uh, start so far as we've been seeing Peter write to this beloved church, group of churches in Asia Minor, that he was deeply concerned about. And he was concerned about the fact that they were going through various trials and persecutions. And the reason behind that was because they were being persecuted for their obedience to Jesus Christ by the world and by the culture in that area at that time, which today is modern-day Turkey. And so I'm going to read our passage for today, which is verses 13 to 21, and we're going to dive in right away because we've got a lot to look at. This is an amazing passage. So read with me verses 13 to 21 from 1 Peter, and then I'll pray one more time. Therefore, <clears throat> preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your contact, conduct. Pardon me, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you once again for this day. We've been praying upstairs earlier and uh, through the worship praying, just thanking you so much. Lord, there are, as you know, <laughs> there are always trials and suffering and even persecutions. And yet, Lord, in all of that, um, we remain thankful, especially those of us who know you and trust you and have heard from you and believe in you and have hope in you, Lord Jesus. And yet at the same time, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to bless our hearts and encourage us. Lord, I pray for this word this morning. Lord, I know that Peter the apostle, but also the pastor, I really, really wanted this church to be encouraged. And he really wanted them to know for certain who you are, Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, so that they could live this life to its fullest, despite the trials and the persecutions. So, Lord, we need that too. I pray your blessings over this morning and this word and the kids upstairs whom we can hear. Uh, we just pray that you bless our time together in the word this morning, and I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as it's not always the case, today I have a sermon title for you in three points. It's not always the case here. That, uh, just sometimes it doesn't come, but this week I felt it did. So the sermon title for this week is, How Then Should We Live? 
and I hope we'll see three things from Peter's word this morning. Number one, look forward to Christ. Number two, don't, do not look or go back. And thirdly, look up in reverence to God. So I thought that this morning would be the perfect time for a good hockey illustration. Amen? (laughs) Some of you are going, please no. Look, it's September. Oh, no, it's October, pardon me. And the Canucks have lost five straight. That's not the reason for the illustration. (laughs) Yeah. What? Oh, my gosh, my notes are wrong. Is that, is last night six? Oh, dear. Yeah, so that was painful. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, That is painful, and we need to pray for them because we love our beloved Canucks, at least some of us. Now, the point is this, is that I, I love that game. So despite the losses of our home team, I'm still a home team guy. I'm going to cheer for them. I'm not going to jump off the bus. That's the bottom line. But I love the game. And it's probably because of the fact that, probably, I don't know, three, four years of age, my dad started flooding a rink in our backyard in Toronto and put on these weird-looking blades, that, you know, the double-sided blades. Some of you will remember those old ones, right? Put them on the b- bottom of a kid and you push them out there, right? And my dad got, he showed, taught me how to skate and stick handle and all the rest of it. Got me into organized hockey somewhere around the age of five or six. I know that's ridiculous, but I have pictures. You know, there's this, I'm about this tall. Trust me, I wasn't any taller. And, and the equipment is like too big. It's, you know, my mom keeps going, it's so cute. I'm going, it's, re- it's ridiculous. But anyway, I, I loved hockey, but there was a part of the game or hockey that I really didn't like. It's called practice, Right? And uh, part of that reason was because in Toronto, like, there was a shortage of actually indoor ice rinks. And, of course, in the middle of the winter in Toronto, when it's minus 20, 25 outside, there are outdoor rinks. And that's where we would practice half the time. It was terrible, right? And uh, the, the breathing and all that. But so anyway, the practicing was, I didn't like it because it was like the coaches would skate us in the cold weather, whatever. And it was like maybe, maybe if we practiced hard and did well, by the end of the practice, we'd have a mini scrimmage. A mini game. So there was the hope, right? And so I, I, I loved playing and all the rest of it. But then I got into my um, 12, 13, early teens years, and I started playing with what are called rep teams and stuff like that. And uh, the practices changed a little bit, but so did my attitude. Because the practices came more, they became more about like practicing plays, right? So practicing a breakout of your own zone, which the Canucks should practice, Okay. Practicing that, practicing what to do with the puck in between the two blue lines, in other words, what's called the neutral zone. Practicing what you would do in the offensive zone, including power plays. And the idea was you would practice these things and practice these things, and when you're in the game, uh uh-huh, we would remember what we practiced. And, you know, hopefully it would turn out that it would turn into a victory. So I, I used to love that. And, 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 and I really caught to the point where I, what, I, what I learned was something that I learned early on from sport, which is true in life. It's about the foundations. You've you got to have the basic skills. You have to have the basic foundations to be able to do anything in life, let alone sport. You want to be a doctor? How many years? <laughs> you want to be an airline pilot? I hope it's a few years, right? You have to learn the basics, the foundations, and sometimes during your career, whatever it might be, you need to go back to school to brush up, right? And to go on further into the learning and getting the facts and the knowledge in order for you to be able to do what you're going to do in your life. And so it works this way in all of life. You ground yourself in the skills, the facts, the knowledge you need regardless of the endeavor, and then 
you get to work. You get to work. And so a strong foundation is critical. That brings us to Peter's words here today. And so let's look at point number one. Look forward to Jesus Christ. Verse 13 would be on screen. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for actions, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, first word, therefore. Uh, There's an old saying by old preachers, which I like to pull out once in a while. And the saying is something like this. When you see the word therefore, you need to ask what, what it's doing there. Why is it there for? What's it there for? You need to ask that. It's, it's a good saying, and, and it, it's, it's a good idea when it comes to the Bible and theology. Most New Testament writers, specifically Paul, Peter, and John, this is how they order their letters. They order their letters in a particular way. I mean, Paul, as we probably know, is a little bit more long-winded or long-penned than Peter is. I mean, in Romans, uh, the opus that um, Paul wrote, the first 11 chapters are all what? Theology. And it's dense and it's thick and it's awesome. And then in chapter 12, it begins with, therefore, it takes him 12 chapters to get there. Peter, it's like, what, 12 verses and he's there. But it's always the same way that it begins. And so, as we said, as I said, with, with Paul, it takes a lot longer. So, it's interesting when you look at that, and it's important that we understand this therefore, because this is a major turning point in the letter. It's a major turning point. He's already laid some foundations, which we're going to recap this morning, and now he's moving forward. One commentator that I read, whose name is Edmund Clowney, he put it this way, related to this text. He says, the imperatives of Christian living always begin with therefore. The imperative. So this is going to be, listen, a theology class and a grammar class. Okay? Just letting you know. Um, Peter does not begin to exhort Christian exiles until he has celebrated the wonders of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So first, theology. Foundational. He goes on to say, the indicative of what God has done for us and in us precedes the imperative of what we are called to do for him. So indicatives then are these foundational things. I mentioned to you many weeks ago about my, and I've told about her before, Mrs. Nevin, my, my grade eight teacher, you know, repetition, repetition, Glenn Davies is how you learn things, right? Well, we had a, uh, a priest in uh, uh, the Catholic boys high school I went to, Father Peck, right? And he was uh, our English uh, teacher and he loved indicatives and imperatives. Like, I'll never forget it. I can't forget it. It's like it was seared into our brain the way he taught us on this. But it was helpful. And so um, this is where we get our knowledge. We need it before we can do anything we're going to do is via indicatives. So a helpful example might be this. You're going to love this, okay? Helpful example for you might be this. Maybe you have a bad headache. You get a sore throat. You start coughing. Along with becoming very tired. And maybe you lose your, your sense of taste or smell. And that would be indicative that you have what? <laughs> yeah. COVID. It would be indicative of that. So those are the facts. Those are the symptoms. Those are the things that are indicative of the fact that that's what you've got. So now what would be the imperative? Well, <laughs> again, you're going to love this. According to our health officials, 
They're awesome. At the time, anyway, you should what? Imperative? Wear a mask, right? You should uh, practice social distancing. Oh, man, I just I had to write these things down the other day. I'm like, uh, and of course, you need to, the most important imperative of all time, get vaccinated. Anyway, that's the way they figured it out, and some of us figured it out, and some of us agree, and we're not going to go there. So I'm sorry about that, but I thought that would be a really good illustration that most of us would see indicative to imperative. Secondly, then, Peter is using the word therefore to stand between, listen, the indicatives of this. Who God is, what he has done, who then that tells us we are before God, and then the imperative, how then we should live. This is what he has done. This is what he's been setting out for us. So between the good theology, theology simply means knowledge of God, who he is, what he has done, and how then we should live. This brings us, however, to a third point before we move on, and a very important distinction that could be overlooked. So I've already pointed out that this works in the everyday endeavors of life, but there's one way, one area of human experience, interestingly, where it's very different for some reason. And guess which realm that's in? Well, it's in the realm of the spiritual or the philosophical. For some reason, it gets flipped there. Every other religion, faith, or way of life in our world today leads to, now remember our previous series, The Good Life and Human Flourishing, is the opposite. In those cases, listen, it's first about how you live, how hard you work, the good things that you do that leads to you being or becoming a good or better person or eventually getting to and achieving the good life. So it actually gets flipped a little bit. It's about the doing before the being or the knowledge of being. And so Christianity is the complete opposite. Peter is making that very clear to the elect exiles in Asia and I hope to you and I here today. So Peter has already laid out the indicatives for us just in the first 12 verses. He'll bring up some more later of uh, who God is and what he has done. So let me recap a little bit for you. First, we learn right in the first two verses that God has multiplied his grace and peace towards us. He has multiplied it. What has he done? Indicative. We, we can know that God has done this and that he's doing it right now and that he will continue to do that to those who are his elect exiles. That's an indicative. Our Heavenly Father, we also read from Peter, Peter goes on to praise him for what? For his son who he sent to us, right? Our Savior Jesus Christ. And it was through his mercy, through God's mercy, that he caused us to be born again. So again, this is what he's done. He's done it all. You and I don't have to do anything. We didn't have to do anything. Well, we have to do some things today, or at least we should. But this indicative part is all his doing. Caused us to be born again. He's given us a living hope in Jesus through his resurrection. He's given us an inheritance. It's there. I said last week, and some of you kind of went, huh? It's not gaining interest. And some of you are going, why not? And I'm like, because it can't get any bigger. It can't get any better. He's given it to you already and to me. It's there. Do we live in light of that every day? It's an indicative. 
of what God has done. And he's done all of this through his foreknowledge, through his plan of salvation, the work of Christ, that we would be his elect exiles in this world. This is who he is. All of it is what he has done. This is our foundation. And more. The facts that now prompt how then we should live or the imperatives. So therefore then is this. Since you and I have received the great benefits of salvation, along which are a new birth, a living hope, and an assured inheritance, the therefore then is this. It's about how you should live your life from this point on. It's the imperative, but it's the result of the indicative. Another way of putting this is interesting is the theological language of orthodoxy, right? I love these words. Personally, I really do. Orthodoxy being the first one, which is, it literally means straight, upright knowledge or the truth. Definite article. So that's what orthodoxy means. That leads to, it's supposed to anyway, lead to orthopraxy. And orthopraxy actually is what's called correct conduct or ethics, And so that's why a lot of commentators and theologians would say Peter is actually one of the most incredible guys to read because much of Christian ethics, world ethics, even people in the culture who who don't, they don't even realize, but what they they call ethical, what would be a good way to live is based on God's foundations (laughs) and his word. And so orthopraxy is correct conduct or act. Ethics, and so then listen, this is key. It always is this way in the Christian life. This is really important if we're going to understand not only Peter, but the gospel. It's always that way. It's also always orthodoxy first that then informs our orthopraxy. We'll come back to that, or how we should then live and be witnesses to this world. So now let's look at some of Peter's imperatives. Let's put verse 13 back on the screen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, I look at these words. I love them because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doer, right? Like I am, like to a fault, okay? Like there's a problem, well, I'll, I'll fix it, right? It, it's, it's a problem actually sometimes. Um, we should maybe pray first, wait. But I love some of the words that are here, and they should be words that lead us to imperatives. Look at them. The word preparing, right? Action. Yep. That's awesome. Being. Identity. That's incredible. Set. Fully. Those are great words. They really are. Powerful words. And, and, and a very, very good translation of the original language. However, I have to point this out this morning. I typically, any week, and I think most preachers that I know, I review four or five different translations. I'm basically looking for uh, consistency or variables. Like, you know, is one translation maybe different in a certain way? And then if I see a variable, I always ask myself, why? Why did that change a little bit? Why is that? And then the, the, the general way to find out is to go to the original Greek, which is, that's that's troubling, it's tiring, it's a lot of work, but you've got to go to it and you look at it, but then also look at commentators who are faithful and trustworthy to look at it. And so I was doing that related to this part today, and, and I love this because 
Um, I, I'm preaching from the ESV. I believe it's a good, valuable uh, translation, but I also checked the NASB, the NIV, two versions of the NIV, etc. And then I checked the venerable old King James Version. Anybody got one of those? Come on, raise anybody. Nobody? You guys are too young. <laughs> That's the first Bible I ever got. Janice gave it to me. I still have it. It's full of notes. Do you know what this passage starts with? Instead of the words... Um, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind. Yeah, I know. First time I heard that, I went, why are we talking about loins? (laughs) That's in the Bible? But it is. And listen, here's the thing. This is the craziest thing about it. And I love these other translations. I'm going to show you they, they do one thing really well with the translation. But they miss this. And I, some, I wish there were more notes in the Bibles to say, hey, just check the King, King James, okay? Because when you look at the Greek, this is closer, way closer to what we have in our modern translations. But it's been lost because of context. So the figure described here, what Peter is getting at, is a figure that they would understand in that day fully, Right? Uh, is that of a man wearing a long robe, which most did in that day. And when a situation required him to go into action, to run, to to be defender or to work, he would have to roll up his garment, his robe, and wrap it underneath his belt for action. And of course, that would be girding up your loins, right? Around your, that area. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) I know. This is fun. Um, but, But that's what it's about, right? So it's being ready and being prepared for action. It's great. It really is. And so I I wanted you to be aware of that because I think it's important that we understand it. It's about being prepared for action from the moment. Listen, so I I love these words. And and what Peter's trying to get at, and and even in that day, and I think I'm trying to get at today, and the Holy Spirit would be today, is that because of who God is and what he's done, listen, every day when you and I get up, we've got to get prepared for action. We've got to get out of our pajamas and get prepared to go to work. What? At the job you do? Yes. On mission with Jesus Christ? Double yes. That requires being prepared. It, it requires, and this is why, again, I, I love the, the translation that we do have because they emphasize the mind, right? That this is about the mind, and it's also about being sober-minded. Now, it's not specifically talking about being drunk, but okay, maybe two, right? The, the idea is being clear-headed, being clear-headed. Maybe it takes two to three coffees for some of you, right? But it's about being clear-headed, being prepared for action, and to be thinking properly, remembering the foundations. How might you do that? Pick up your Bible in the morning and read the Word. Read the Word. Go back to foundations class and read the word. So I find it interesting because I think, I've said this before, I I think some people believe that as Christians, we're we're really not using our minds when it comes to faith in God, right? It's like we've had a frontal lobotomy and we're just walking around going, oh yeah, we believe in this fairy God, this whatever. And, And people think we haven't really used our minds, so if you attend this church for very long, and not just because of me, but anyone who preaches in this place, it's going to, are we just not using our minds? It takes, it takes a mind to listen to and absorb and think on these things. 
And God expects that of us. That's why he gave them to us. And yet I think in our culture, the, 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 the view is, is that we're the ones who are, we're just not, we're not really with it. But the opposite is true. We can know. We can absolutely know. Our faith is based on deep theological knowledge of who God is, or it should be. We are people whose minds are fully engaged, or should be, in the way that we live out our faith. So finally, again on this verse, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In doing this and being, and since we are, he is our living hope, Jesus is our living hope, we keep looking forward to him and to his coming again. Why? Because you're going to suffer trials and sufferings and persecutions. Because you're going to go out and try to live out the foundations of what you've learned about God and who he is and what he's done, and you're going to, I got the t-shirt, fail. It's a testing, but that's how we learn, as we're going to see. So that's number one. Look forward to Jesus. Keep looking forward to Jesus. Number two, don't look back. Verses 14 to 16 will be on screen. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is ethics. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. So remember again, it was their obedience to Christ and his word that caused them to be ostracized and become exiles and unwanted people in the public sphere in that day. It was because of their obedience to the foundations of who God is and what he has done. So Peter then exhorts them to, listen, remain, remain obedient. How? By, by reminding them also of what not to do. <laughs> Don't touch the hot stove, son. This is what not to do, and it's important. He says, do not either look back or go back to your previous way of life. His words are actually very reminiscent to me, which is why I'm going to have them on screen, of the Apostle Paul after his therefore in Romans 12, where he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a pattern out there. Anybody, anybody mapped it? Anybody see it? Right? But listen, look at this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by, there's that word, testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So back in Peter, we see another interesting word. It's the word ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, he says. So what's he, what's he getting at here? What's he saying? Well, he's saying this, basically. Before you knew God, had knowledge of God, before the Holy Spirit illuminated your mind to actually understand and believe it, before that point, and you received your salvation, what you thought and believed was based on being ignorant. Now, now is Peter talking about being rude? <laughs> no. It's not about being rude, of course. So ignorant of what? Well, obviously, the truth about God, and listen, about yourself. So this is one of those 
times when I'm looking at that, and some of the translations, same, same idea, ignorant, different words used. I'm going to the Greek and I'm going, well, that's really interesting. See, the, the Greek word that's used there is the word agnoia. Do you know what word we get in our English today? It means it's the word agnostic. It, it's people who will say, well, I'm not an atheist who doesn't believe there's a God at all. I'm a person who, who's basically saying, I don't know that I can know or that anyone can know that there is a God. That was their former ignorance. So that's pretty interesting when you think about it, that that's the way we ourselves were. I'll tell you what else is very interesting. Uh, again, related to today, who do you think uh, most people in our culture think are the ignorant, one, ignorant ones today? The, the rude people? Well, yes. Yeah. You're all so silent right now, but you know, right? It's us. It's Christians. Other people of faith, too, but primarily Christians. We are the ignorant ones, the people who believe actually what the Bible says and, and, and actually call other people to believe what it says and to attempt to live it out. We're the ignorant ones. Why? Well, because, you know, we're obviously not enlightened. We're, we're obviously not, we haven't, we haven't, you know, really gone to the right schools. Actually, most Christian parents are very, very concerned about their children going to those schools today because that's oftentimes where their faith goes right out the window. So we're the ignorant ones, apparently. So the imperatives then are this. Look, number one, remain obedient. That's an imperative. So, so we know who God is, what he has done, so what, what, what do we need to do day to day? Tell the truth. Be obedient, first to God, and then to, listen, yes, to those in authority over us in our world and in our church. Don't go back to your old ways, but look at this. Be holy in what? In your conduct. I love that. It's basically how you live as he is holy. Okay, hang on a second. Raise your hand if you are holy like God. If anyone does, I'm telling you right now, we're going to pray for you. Really? I mean, I read that, and I think a lot of us have read this passage and read that part and go, hold on. Are you kidding me? Okay, so this is important because it's, Paul wants to encourage them, but I also want us to see it so we can be encouraged. God is holy, right? It's, it's the, the thing. People talk about God is love, like as, like as if that character attribute is the most important thing about God. Sorry, he's holy. What does it mean? It means he's perfect in every possible way. Even in his loving, he's perfect. He's perfectly righteous. It, it also means this, this word in the original language, and again, we're going to do theology here, it, it basically means set apart. And so, so how is God set apart? Is he set apart from us? Well, kind of, but not really. Not if we're in him. If, if we're in him, what? He's in us. So he's not set apart. What is he set apart from? Sin. 100,000%. He is separate from that. And so what I want you to see here today is, first of all, from this is this. Of course we know, look at, that God is holy. That God is holy and that we know that he is perfect. And we also know, for now anyway, we are not. So we know that. 
So what this should teach us is, first of all, to give us comfort, (laughs) and hopefully the imperative. So the imperative would be this. First, it means set apart to God. But also the language there is like you're being, being holy, or being, being made holy. And so when you think about that, you guys all know the theological word that's used here. And by the way, in your New Testament Bibles, the word in the Greek is translated one of two ways. Either as holy or, you're going to love this, sanctified. Being sanctified. And so what, what Peter's encouraging them is be obedient, don't go back, don't look back, stay obedient, remember the foundations, live your life, a good conduct life. And be set apart. And through the trials, everything that you're going to go through, be sanctified. Be being sanctified. What is that? Being made more holy. One day we will be. Can anybody wait for that? It would be lovely, wouldn't it? So that's our second point. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't go back. Lastly, look up in reverence. Verses 17 to 19 to say, if you call on him as father, if you call. This is not an if. This is, you should. (laughs) And if you do, you're calling on your father who judges impartially. Look at this. According to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves, he says, therefore, with fear. Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable Uh, things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I think most of you know this, and I sure hope you do, so I'll just make the point this morning. Fear of God in the biblical sense is never fear of being mistreated or abused. Right? It's not what it's talking about. It is a reverent fear an awe of who our holy God really is. He, in Jesus, will judge the living and dead one day. Our conduct today, therefore, Christian, matters. It really matters. We as Christians, too, will be judged. Not related to our eternal salvation. That's already been settled. If you're in Christ, your, your, your eternal salvation has already been judged. You're saved. You're his. However, our level of obedience and faithfulness, those matter. And rewards will be doled out accordingly when we get there. Our passage for today concludes in verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you and me who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So from verses 18 to 21, Peter is appealing to us um, via two key emotions, which we all have, some of us better and more than others, the emotions of love and fear. The emotion of love that sees the price that God paid to redeem us. He first loved us. We love him because of what he's done for us. Now that we know and we know him, we we love him as our father, as our Lord and Savior. 
We love him. And we fear, but this is the fear of despising God's love, of, of being disobedient and living a life in such a way that we're trampling on his love. We're not appreciating what he's done in the way that we live our days, taking it for granted. So it is imperative then as we live our lives as redeemed and elect exiles that we continually listen, look forward to Christ. It's imperative. And secondly, we never look or go back. And thirdly, we keep looking up, knowing, listen, that our Heavenly Father right now is looking down. He is. So we look up with reverence, with love, and with fear. So remember, if you remember anything from today besides those things, a couple things. One, orthodoxy always precedes orthopraxy. See, what I sense today and what I observe today, quite frankly, in the church, um, is, to be honest, many Christians are functioning in the wrong order. As we encounter the world, as we go into the world to love the world, to bless the world, to proclaim Jesus to the world, and we see how it's functioning, we encounter the world, we either forget or we've actually never really learned good foundational truth. And so then we, 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 we observe the orthopraxy, how, it's try, how we're trying to live it out in this world and how we're trying to reach people. And then we go back to the foundations and the word of God and go, well, something there must change. That should never happen. What should happen is you should go back to orthodoxy and study it deeply, remind yourself of it. And if you're faltering in that way, Talk to your pastor, your elders, your other brothers and sisters in Christ and get back to the foundation. So friends, in conclusion, let me say this. The Christian life truly is the best life ever. Anybody? (laughs) Okay, come on. Somebody raise your hand. It's the best life ever. Amen? Thank you. Despite the many challenges and the trials and our personal failings, it's amazing. As we encounter the world and as we live our faith in this world, we, you know, we, we get to be the ones who are being blessed by our God. We truly, if we have learned good orthodoxy or we let orthopraxy that we are falling inform our orthodoxy, that gets us looking back and going in the wrong direction. And so, friends, I want to suggest to you today, we are those, listen, this is, impl- I, I, when I wrote this, I thought, wow, is it, this is, not because I wrote it, but I think he said it to me, We are those who know how blessed we are by God. Do you know that in your heart? We are the ones who know that, how blessed we are. Again, as Paul puts it, that that we have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. We are the ones who know that in our minds and in our hearts. And so we also know, thanks to the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, how to live our lives, therefore, to the fullest. Or at least we should. We should be encouraged by these things. These are things that only those who look know God and are his children can know. Still, as Peter wished to encourage the church in that day, I wish to encourage all of you here today that with the Lord's blessing and listen, each other's help, we can do this. We can finish the race. 
I want to leave you with these words. They're the title of a book written by a pastor who passed away not too long ago. It's probably my favorite book of his. His name is Eugene Peterson. And he wrote this book, and he, it was about, it's basically about living an obedient and faithful Christian life based on the Psalms. The title of the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. This life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Amen? Let's pray.